My name's Anna Paulina Luna. My entire mother's side of the family and father's side of the family on both sides are from Mexico. My mom made the decision at 20 years old to basically walk home from an abortion clinic. She grew up in an environment that was really infected with drugs. You know, it could have ended up very differently. My mom's always been my guardian, my protector, but you know, she herself had me at a very young age. We moved up to LA when I was in high school and she pretty much raised me on her own along with my brother and sister. So my dad is a first-generation American citizen. I myself, on my dad's side, would be a second-generation American citizen. He actually grew up going back and forth to Mexico City when he was younger, but my father had a very bad drug addiction, so my dad, for as much as he loved me, was pretty much in and out of the picture my entire life. So this is something that definitely means a lot to me. It's one of the only things that I have from my grandma, Emma, and there's actually the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus on it, so very Mexican. <laughs> but, you know, for me, it's it's the one piece that I have of her. She taught my dad a lot, and she's very much so a part of my history, my story, and so I actually keep it in my nightstand with me, and it reminds me of her every time I look at it, so. In the neighborhood that we lived in, it was a neighborhood in Santa Ana, and instead of having the ice cream guy that a lot of kids remember growing up with, you know, the music going on down the street, we had an elote guy. And this guy would come around in a shopping cart, and he'd honk his horn, spoke no English, and my dad would go out there and order, and it was two corns for a dollar, and I'd sit there on the curb with my dad, and we'd eat it. For me, that's my cultural experience, my connection. But again, when you live all these things, that's just kind of part of who I am. I didn't realize that I was different per se. There were some things that I saw growing up with my dad that, you know, looking back on it now, just not something that drugs really impacted my family. And a lot of times, I didn't see my dad. It was because he was either using or in jail. And, you know, I would come across things that no kid should come across. I think at 10 years old, I came across a meth bag. Um, sometimes I, like I found um, a pookie, which is a basically a meth pipe. My grandma Judy, her brothers, and her husband actually all ended up dying of AIDS due to heroin use. And even though my dad loved me, he also was struggling with a form of addiction that, you know, one of the places that I briefly lived at with my dad was actually, they were trafficking, or they were selling drugs out of it. They were selling firearms that ended up being raided. And, um, you know, looking back at that then, you know, I, I definitely saw the gang mentality. I saw what that environment was like. And for someone like me, you know, my dad's not a perfect person, but he's clean now. And had it not been, I think, for the structure that the military really provided with me, it would have probably been that my dad wouldn't have been able to get out of those situations because I was, the military enabled me to help my family in a way that I think I wouldn't have been able to help them in it, in, in that sense. The military is one of the best things that a lot of times people can do to get out of really bad situations. And it deeply 
almost angers me when I hear people say that the military targets minorities and that it's not a good thing because not only was I able to help myself and really as an adult get the guidance and the structure that I needed to really excel, but I was able to also help my family. And I think that for someone like myself, I mean, what other place in the world can a young woman join the military and then help their family to the point of like, really like making changes that impact future generations. And I think that that was something that I will forever be grateful for the military for. And when I still talk to younger kids, even kids in, from rough areas, I'm like, hey, look, you should consider joining because for me it was life changing and I don't regret that decision. So Craig was a Navy SEAL and he basically was the very first person that exposed me to what was happening with sex trafficking of children at the U.S.-Mexico border. It was through that that I really went down the rabbit hole and found out that not only was my entire demographic literally being lied to about what was happening at the border, but for me, it and I don't know if it was because of how I grew up, like what I experienced or, but I just, I felt the need to speak up. I felt the need to advocate for people that can't speak for themselves. There's a market that's been created that's been run by organized crime on both sides of the border. And that to me is disgusting. There's children that are kidnapped and brought here to be trafficked for strictly sexual and or labor purposes. And there are literally children that are also rented so that people can exploit the asylum process here in the United States by claiming that they're a family unit, they gain entry into this country, and then they never show back up to court. And then the kids are sent back and re-rented. I mean, you're talking about people being treated as less than human, literally less than garbage, being made to have intercourse with random strangers, not using protect protection, being raped, sometimes to the point of where they're bleeding. When you really see what happens to some of these kids, you know, they only hope that someone like a police officer or a border patrol agent or you know even an ICE officer would find them because of what they go through and I don't care where a child's from in no way shape or form should anyone turn a blind eye to some of the atrocities the rape the trafficking the kidnapping and the torture of children I came across an article about a young woman named Carla Jacinto. Carla was was kidnapped. She was, from my understanding, initially brought into the trafficking world by someone that was pretending to be interested in her, that was by someone who wanted to be her boyfriend. What really stuck out to me is as I'm pulling up this article, I see this number of 44,000. That was the number of times that she had been raped during her entire duration of being a trafficking victim. This wasn't just something that, you know, you kind of listen to, think about, and then move on from. I was actually sitting in a hotel room, and I was in town for my friend Natasha's wedding in Florida. And I was working on my computer. You know, I wasn't political at all. And CNN was running a story on a train that had been stopped that was coming up from South America. And I remember the uh, anchor saying, you know, federal Mexican federal police have stopped a train and on board there's women and children, but they stopped the train due to MS-13 gang members being on it. And, you know, here at CNN, we're raising money because these are refugees fleeing a country. And I'm thinking in the back of my head that one, when do you ever find women and children with gang members ever? And then also two, 
The fact that CNN was putting together then money to bring these people to the border, I immediately stopped what I was doing and I just started watching the story. And you know, sometimes in your life you'll have that moment of clarity where it just clicks. It kind of hit me all, all as a ton of bricks that I realized that there's something called propaganda and it's used. And I saw what was happening and I made a video and I put that video out there and I got pushback for it. For me, it was me feeling like I was protecting. Um, also too, I think tying back into how I grew up, but then also realized that I didn't see anyone from my demographic that was saying anything about it. I didn't see anyone saying, hey, don't, I don't agree with this. I'm not racist. Like I am Hispanic, I'm Hispanic, and I don't agree with this for these reasons. And so by me taking that initial choice to speak up, I felt that I was helping to fix the problem. And the problem was making sure that people aren't getting hurt because an open border hurts people on both sides. Any person that's advocating strongly against a wall is either grossly misinformed and completely ignorant as to what's happening, or they're a criminal because they're part of the problem. What people don't realize is that the policies we have here in effect in the United States directly impact those other places. And if there's a physical barrier, people are less inclined to even try to make that journey in the first place. And it makes it very hard for people that are doing bad things, trying to exploit innocent people to sell them into something like this. It makes it very difficult for them to do that. What they were failing to say is that these children are separated to confirm biological identity. There's literally been Border Patrol came out with stats saying that one third of the children that they tested that are brought to the border in family units are not biologically related to the people claiming to be their family members. That is horrifying. They've created something that I think should be a nonpartisan issue. They're not giving it the respect, they're not giving it the attention that's deserved, I think, because it's a political, it's a political motive. I would hands down rather have a child separated from someone claiming to be their parent until they are biologically proved to be related to that person because of the fact that sex trafficking exists. It is irresponsible for people to say that we need, we, we need to reunite families because of this reasoning. These kids don't choose to be in this circumstance. They're innocent in this. But if we're not protecting them through our legislative policies, then we're part of the problem and I will never back down from that stance. A lot of the Border Patrol officers that I've talked to are actually Hispanic. Um, a lot of the ICE officers that I've spoken to are Hispanic. People doing that job are not racist. People that know what's happening at the border and the reason why you become so passionate about it is because you're informed. I don't think that people go into that job with the intention of wanting to hurt people. I think you go into that job because you want to help the community. It's our moral obligations as Americans, as Christians, as people that believe in God to stand up against this. The opportunities that I've had, um, today I've traveled to over 25 countries around the world. And I can say that the United States is one of the best countries in the world that currently exists and that in no way, shape, or form have I ever been held back because of the fact that I am a Hispanic American. The truth is one of the most powerful things that you have to make changes in a country and a world that desperately needs it. Of every single country that I've traveled to in the world, I can tell you that 
being born here is basically like winning the lottery because every opportunity that I've had as a woman coming from the background that I have, coming from the story that I have, the opportunities that I have been given off of hard work is nowhere else in the world. I feel absolutely grateful every single day that I wake up at the fact that I was born here, that I've had the opportunity to serve my country, and that because I'm an American, I have been given the opportunity to flourish with as much hard work as I've put into it, and I've attained. So yes, am I grateful for this country? Absolutely, will I continue to fight for it? Absolutely. And and am I grateful to be an American? Absolutely. Thank you for watching this episode of Americanos. Did you know that PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit? That means we can only continue our work with the support of viewers like you. Please keep PragerU's content free by making a tax-deductible contribution today.